0: You can see on the screen the Victoria Cross. It is the highest honor that a soldier can be awarded in the British Army, and it's a a very simple medal. It's inscribed with two words, for valor. Valor really just means great courage in really difficult circumstances. And in the passage that we read earlier on, God sends a message to this young man, Gideon. It's as if he's awarding him a Victoria Cross before he ever goes into battle, because the Lord's angel addresses Gideon, as the ESV puts it, as a mighty man of valor. And yet tonight and in the coming weeks, as you read through the story of Gideon and Judges. That seems like a strange thing for the Lord to say about this man, because in actual fact, when you read through Judges chapter 6, and you go on to read the next couple of chapters, Gideon looks and sounds anything but strong and courageous. So, please turn with me again tonight to Judges chapter 6. If you've got your Bible in front of you, and I can see, I think that most of you already have your Bibles open at Judges 6, and that's great. And as we continue to study the book of Judges, we're going to be spending a few weeks looking at this guy, Gideon. And if you think back to your Sunday school days, and I know that many of you here this evening came through our own Sunday school in Connor or a Sunday school in your home church, you'll think back to Gideon being one of the great heroes of the Bible. We, we often describe him as a Bible hero. I've looked at Gideon with the, the kids here in church under that very title of Bible heroes. But there's so much about Gideon that isn't that heroic. The Gideon that we encounter here in God's Word in Judges chapter 6, he's fearful, he's weak, he's indecisive, he's clueless at times. And understandably, he is feeling that way because he is living in one of the most difficult periods in the history of God's people. And as such, Gideon provides for us one of the ultimate biblical examples of God's strength at work in our weakness. And for that reason, I believe that Gideon is a great person for us to spend time thinking about at this exact time in the life of our congregation, in the history of the church of Jesus Christ in this part of the world? Because if we were were to be really honest tonight, well, as a church, at this time we feel fearful. We feel weak. At times as a church, we feel clueless. We wonder what the future holds for us. At the present time, we know very well that within our own congregation, and let's be absolutely honest about this, there is a lack of engagement by people who were previously here. I know how much that hurts some of you here this evening because that lack of engagement involves people within your own family, and we have talked about that and prayed about that together. And so, I speak sensitively about these things tonight. And it seems at times that we are having a complete lack of impact in our community for the gospel. We we want to do things. We want to try things. But so often we look around on the Lord's Day and we see so many people living around us who are completely disengaged from worship of the Lord and from the church of Jesus Christ. And so we do wonder, what does the future hold for us? what does the future hold for this congregation? And believe me, this is a conversation that I'm having with lots of colleagues and lots of people in other congregations. This, people, is universal. Maybe for your encouragement, it is not specific to us here in the congregation of Connor. But we wonder, what can we do? And sometimes we feel short of ideas. And then when we do have an idea, we maybe feel discouraged and short of resources to see the idea through. I wish we had more people to help with this, or I wish more people had this vision and joined in doing this thing. And so, tonight, tonight we need to be reminded of that great biblical truth that God's grace is sufficient, and that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's the truth to think about this evening. And as we do that, and as we come to this passage, remember this is part of a much bigger and greater story that runs through the Scriptures, it runs through in particular this part of the Old Testament, a story on the one hand of the people's failure, their constant failure in obeying God, and being the people that they had been called to be, that they were to be that great light to the nations, that they were to be that holy people set apart for God, and once again, complete failure. But the other part of that story, the greater part of that story, is the faithfulness of God, His consistency, His love for His people, His discipline of His people out of love for them and concern for them. And so, here in chapter 6, like so many times in this particular book and in this great story that runs through the Old Testament, God's people Israel whom He chose to be His special nation, were under attack from their enemies. They were up against it once again. This time, the enemy is the mighty nation of Midian. But there's a thing that I want you to see about Israel's circumstances here in Judges chapter 6. Look back at the beginning of the chapter again, verse 1, and we're told that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So, be clear about this. Do you see what's going on? Because it's so important. Who is it that lies behind what's going wrong with God's people, the Israelites? Well, let's be clear. It is the Lord Himself. We're told He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, what's that all about? As we try and get a handle on that, hold on, so God gives His own people, the people who He's given these wonderful promises to, the people whom He loves with an unfailing love, He gives them over to the hands of their enemies. Let's think about that for a moment, and we remember that one of the names given, to these people of God in this period. The name by which they had been known during their time enslaved in Egypt and during their time of moving towards the promised land under God's protection was the children of Israel. That's the key word, the children of Israel. And so, tonight we inevitably think about our own kids, and we think about our children at that particular stage of life. Over this past week, I think in every single home that I was in, without exception, people talked to me about the Jubilee. And in every single home without exception, there were two things that they wanted to talk about. Paddington was one, and Louie. We Louie up the camera on him and his mum, and playing up as a child who is what three would inevitably do. So, imagine if Next Lord's Day, when you're here with your children and around that age, and the cameras here are turned around on you, and all the way through the service, people are watching you trying to handle your child. And there was that moment, if you noticed the pictures, when when Catherine, enough was enough, and the finger went out. There was discipline. A line had been crossed, and the discipline came. And we presume that Catherine did that as a loving mother, as a loving parent. If we think about the discipline that we have exercised in the lives of our children, we, as Christian parents here tonight, do that out of great love and concern for our children. We don't want them to be brats. We don't want them to be. Unpopular all the way through their life and to be people who others look at and think I want nothing to do with them. We don't want them to, to take the wrong turns in life and so we start as we mean to go on and discipline is brought to them out of great love. And we see in verse 1 that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that we have discovered that in particular that is connected to their idolatry, to their pursuing other gods, false gods, instead of Yahweh, the one true living God. We can say of them that they had lost the plot, and so God disciplines them because He loves them. But here is the particular thing to see. He gives them over to their enemies so that they will turn to Him once again. This is an act that is for His glory and for their blessing. So that if you go on to verse 6, we discover Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help, Or, or the way the ESV puts it, and it's helpful. Israel was brought very low because of Midian. They were at rock bottom, and as a result, they cried out to the Lord. we see ourselves when we look at the Israelites. Who do we turn to when it all goes wrong? We, we turn to God and we cry out to Him for help. So, things are not good when we first meet Gideon in this story, but the Lord has a plan for Gideon's life, and so He sends an angel with a special message. And remember once again how he describes Gideon in verse twelve. So if we look at what the ESV says here, that the title is "O mighty man of valor." And yet here's the thing. And let's not miss this tonight as we read through this passage. Where is Gideon when the angel appears to him, and what is he doing? Well, take a look at verse eleven. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. And for many of us, myself included, not being an expert on Middle Eastern agriculture in this period, I read that verse, and you could easily read it and think, yep, it's a description of what he was doing, so what? But there is something badly wrong with this picture. And to explain it, I want to ask you, have you ever done an outside job indoors? I remember when we lived in Newton Abbey, our neighbors, Robert and Catherine, and Robert was really into motorbikes. And I went over to see him one night, and it was his wife Catherine answered the door, and the look on her face said everything. And she just kind of like, he's in there. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good. And when I walked into their lounge, which had this beautiful laminate floor that they'd laid down, and he'd spent ages putting this down, there were about four sheets of newspaper and a motorbike engine in the middle of the floor, which he was stripping down, and there was oil everywhere. And you would have to say it was an outside job being done indoors. It wasn't the right setting. Well, here in this chapter, please understand that Gideon is doing an outside job indoors. He's threshing, and the normal idea is that you do that in as open a place as possible because the wind will come along and help to carry away all of the chaff, and yet here he is in a wine press doing this job. Why? Well, because he's in hiding, because he's totally afraid of and on his guard against The very people that the Lord had called him to attack. When I was going to our BB in Belfast on the Shankill Road at the height of the troubles, you can imagine what it was like when boys were going home from BB at about 10 o'clock, half 10. And one of our BB officers, Billy Adams, he used to say to the boys heading out through the door, he said, Lads, keep your high hand low. And what he meant was, keep your head down. Keep a low profile. Go straight home. Don't be getting into trouble. And here is the mighty man of valor, keeping his high hand low, keeping a low profile, hiding himself and his crops away from the invaders. Well, tonight I wonder, what is it that scares you? And I reflect on the things that scare us as a church. As a church, we ask those questions, will we ever get them back? What's the future of our congregation? Then we think about the big issues of the day, and we begin to wonder, can we still make a difference? and we begin to doubt, and we begin to ask ourselves, do we even speak up about the big issues of the day when, when marriage and gender identity are being discussed, when abortion is being discussed, which is a, a big, big topic for us here in the province at this time, do we even raise our heads up and say anything at all? that it comes to feel like we are the baddies instead of the goodies. So I've been reading this book recently, and it's a good book, but I think it's a brilliant title and it's an even better cover, a book published by the, the Good Book Company, Stephen McAlpine, originally from this part of the world, but ha, has spent most of his life in Australia. And do you see that title? You can see it led under it, being the good guys, but the title is being the bad guys, how to live for Jesus in a world that says you shouldn't. That there is for the church in these days such a great temptation to keep our high hand low, to hide away, and to do our work, but to do it hidden away from all view. And then in our own lives, there are the things that scare us. We have doubts about our own future. Some face up to the reality of illness, and you're not sure what the future holds. Well, tonight, individually and as a church, as the body of Christ in this place, the first thing that we need to admit to ourselves and to one another and the thing that we need to confess before God is that we are so unsure about so many things and if we come back to Gideon again not only was he scared not only was this a fearful man but he was weak so that the one whom the angel describes as the mighty man of valor he knows his limits He didn't feel like a mighty man, so that when the Lord called him to lead the people of Israel into battle, Gideon found every excuse not to go, and we'll consider that more next week, God willing. But let's just look at verse 15, and here's here's the comeback from Gideon. Pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He's saying, Lord, who am I to save Israel? Because you know what? I am the lowest of the low. I'm a nobody. And tonight, as we think about what this means for us, I believe there is both personal and there is corporate, there is church-wide application for us. It could be that some here tonight feel like a Gideon. You feel like a nobody. You feel, in some ways, because of the way in which your life has panned out, that you are the lowest of the low. But for others, you will have absolutely no sense of identification with Gideon, or at least you would not want to concede that you do, because you reckon that you are a somebody. And you certainly wouldn't regard yourself as being weak or being afraid, and maybe reckon that there are no big problems in your life. But I know that I can identify with Gideon and his weakness. People, we are weak. We've talked about how we are physically weak. We're tired as a church and as individuals in the Lord's work at this time. We are weak in wisdom. So often, I go through the week and I feel absolutely clueless. I'm confronted with issues and problems. I'm confronted with things, and I think, what do I do? What do we do about this? But most of all, I feel aware of my weakness and righteousness, and I hope you do as well, the fact that we are sinners. Sinners in need of God's grace in Christ Jesus, so that we need to come back to the central message of this book. Our God loves to save His people, and Gideon shows us the way it should be when it comes to God and us. Tonight, we recognize, we confess our weakness in righteousness, and we know that sin is our ultimate problem. After all, sin puts us at war with the God who made us. We understand from God's Word that we find our purpose, we find our satisfaction, we we find that sense of direction in life in relating to God. That's why we have been put here in this world by Him, to be in relationship with the Lord. And the gospel reminds us that sin fractures that relationship. That we can never have this friendship with God. We can never be in His presence while our sin remains undealt with. And this is common to us all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're only too aware of the problems that sin causes here and now, that lack of peace that people experience in their lives, and the ultimate consequence that, as Scripture reminds us, the wages of sin is death. And so, we need rescue. We need rescue from sin and its impact above all else. And who can do it? And as we recognize that gospel message tonight, as we recognize our need of the Lord Jesus, therefore, tonight as a church, we take seriously our calling as a church. We believe that that people need this ultimate rescue we believe that it is the gospel that brings transformation. It is the gospel that changes lives. We believe that salvation is found in Christ alone. And therefore, we commit ourselves to this ministry of reconciliation. We commit ourselves as a church and as individuals to point people to Christ, we don't always get it right. It's a tough calling. At times, we're incredibly discouraged because we feel that people are not listening and responding. We feel so inadequate to the task of gospel ministry, both personally, each week in our own lives, and as a congregation, year by year. But we return to Gideon one last time this evening, and we hear what the Lord said to this scared and weak man. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And we think to ourselves, as Gideon thought, what strength? Seriously, what strength? Gideon understood that he was the weakest and the least. Well, the strength that Gideon has is not his own. It's a strength that's given to him by the Lord. So, look at the question that the Lord adds in verse 14. Am I not sending you? The strength that Gideon would have to lead the people into battle was God's strength. And the bottom line is that Israel would be saved by God. They would not be saved by themselves. And the great promise that the Lord gives to Gideon in verse 16, it's a short and a simple and yet an incredibly profound promise. Look at that verse, The Lord promises, I will be with you. That is the transformative verse right at the heart of this passage. It's one we'll return to next week. The Lord said to Gideon, I will be with you. He said, You can't do this yourself, you cannot save yourself in your own strength. I know, Gideon, you're scared and you're weak, but here's the thing, I will be with you. And people, we need a great rescue, whether people realize that or not. Who of us can save ourselves? Only God can save, only God can rescue. And we know that He is mighty to save and that He loves to save His people. We know this because of the one that He gave. We know this because of Jesus. He gave us the very best for the job. His only begotten Son, the one He loves so much. And we think of the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5 where it talks about how Jesus took our place. And Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And do you see the word powerless? We can never save ourselves. Only Jesus can. And so, as a church, as we carry this message, when we feel powerless to bring this message to others, when we feel that we are lacking in resources, When we feel clueless and fearful, and we wonder how can we possibly have an impact? How can we make lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ, as is our, our mission statement and our goal in this church? Will remember the Lord's message. I will be with you. People, Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of this church. It's his church. He's in charge. And Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. Matthew 28:18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go